Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible with me, Dr. Aparajita Jidigunta. For today's episode, we are joined by somebody that I think is one of the most powerful, authentic, and raw voices I've ever met in my life in diversity and inclusion. Her name is Dr. Nicole Carter. Dr. Nicole Carter is the director of the Wright State University Women's Center. She also teaches in various fields including the Student Affairs and Higher Education Program, the Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies Program, and the African and African American Studies Program. Her FOSA include the intersectional experiences of women in university settings, persistence and retention of women in higher education, and the creation of counter spaces for women, students of color, and women students in STEM. She has started cohorts geared towards leadership and feminist praxis. She has curated workshops on various topics ranging from intersectionality to power-based violence. She received her PhD from Eastern Michigan University. Dr. Carter has also started an online consulting and coaching company for women of color writers called Sis Just Write. And on a personal note, Dr. Nicole Carter and I actually were classmates in the same high school. So this is a woman that I have known and whose growth I've seen for more than 23 years now. Sorry, Dr. Nicole, I just aged us, but hey, <laughs> it is seriously with such great pleasure that I welcome my dear old friend, Dr. Nicole Carter. Hi, Nicole. Hi. To start off, there's one question that I wanted to ask you, which was not in your bio. What is your PhD in? So my PhD is in educational studies. The program that I graduated from had two tracks. Uh, nursing education and urban education. So I focused on Black feminist epistemologies or the creation of knowledge by Black women who perform and create art. Uh, that was my focus. <laughs> wow. So that's very interesting because, first of all, I've never heard of those th that type of a track before. And the fact that you were able to focus on, you said the urban track, right? The urban education track? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about what that experience was like for you and what your overall journey was like. So the experience navigating a PhD program. So first of all, I'll say that the program was through teacher education department at Eastern Michigan University. And so I went into that program sort of like the oddball will because I knew that I wanted it on some form of activism. So I decided to focus on art as really like a form of activism and as a form of knowledge creation because I was doing it myself and I was part of the uh, artist collectives in the city of Detroit. So I started in that way. But when it comes to or when it came to navigating that program I actually found it a little bit difficult well first of all there was only one woman of color who was a faculty member in the program and she was working on some other things and so she was able to be on my committee but not actually able to be like a chair or an in fact, I actually changed chairs and advisors and committees about two or three times during my process. And I would say, I don't know if that is a rare thing for women of color, but I think it's quite rare for that to happen. But that was my experience going through that program. 
So what what's interesting to me about your tenure during the PhD program as, you know, a graduate student and then as a doctoral candidate is moving from failure to resilience, you know, that whole journey. And that is something that I would love to highlight the process that you went through, the empowerment that you got because of it, and how that really kind of shaped your worldviews, your perspective, and your voice, as I mentioned in the intro, just being this completely authentic, raw and powerful voice that you developed through that. So can you tell our listeners more about that? I, I feel like what I went through during the PhD program was very heart wrenching and heartbreaking. And it's an experience that I feel that no person should ever go through. There were times where I felt like there was a lack of support. And that is actually a common thing for women of color and graduate programs, period, but especially PhD programs. But I I don't know, I went through sort of like these phases where I was extremely excited and motivated to work on the coursework. In fact, I finished the coursework in about two years earlier than anybody else, but then things went downhill when it came time for comp. In fact, I failed comp the first time and had to retake them and I contemplated not going back to the program at all because I felt like I was writing for my current committee at that time and not for me mm-hmm. and then I started reading things about African-American women or black women and the PhD process and really then went into this different direction and reading so things like Patricia Hill Collins work on black feminist thought and how it was important for me to write on things that related to my own life like my personal story was important enough to be part of my dissertation and my coursework and so I sort of like regained my confidence in the program I elected have another committee that one black woman actually became my chair and then she quit wow <laughs> like the university left and so that was devastating but then I got actually a, a white man to assist and he was very supportive he actually focused on uh, activism in within educational work critical pedagogy and things like that so it kind of related to what I was focused on and so I felt sort of empowered at that time and able to really navigate the process in a way that I saw fit and so I was able to finish while also including my story in in that dissertation so my dissertation was autoethnographic and so meaning it included my own experiences making art and sharing that that art with the community and other people Wow. You know, I never realized the similarities, some of the similarities in our stories and our PhD journeys, because I think you're absolutely right that women of color don't get the support, the unique support that they need in which their voices can be honored in their work. It's almost like, you know, because I had a very similar experience in grad school too. Yeah. 
I think, you know, it's exactly like you said, there was just these ups and downs and roller coasters and just the lack of support and and this overwhelming sense of like almost dread of like, can I do this? Is it even worth it to do this? But I've spent so much time on it already. I can't give up right now. And I feel like between you and me, at least, that seems to be sort of the take home message for any other woman of color who might be listening out there contemplating a PhD program, know that it is going to be tough, know that you might not find support immediately, but also know that you will get through it if you are persistent. And there are resources available in the oddest ways in the oddest places to help you. Yeah, this is true. Um, I mean, and the reality is that these programs and colleges and universities, period, were not created for us to be in those spaces Mm -hmm. as women and as women of color and so you know just the fact that we enrolled in a PhD program and got admitted into that program is defying the odds defying what society says that we can do but I think for me it was a, a point during that program where I was just I was questioning formal types of education and somebody else judging my work and my writing and my knowledge production, especially since I was studying the knowledge production of women of color, specifically black Mm -hmm. women, and how that their forms of wisdom and knowledge had been silenced for so long. So I felt like the same thing was happening to me in the program that I was reading about. And so it was just something, you know, that I really had to come to terms with and I had to think about who I was doing it for I mean of course I was doing it for me but in the back of my mind I continued to think about the women of color in my life or my ancestors never had the opportunity to get a PhD or let alone get past elementary school education like my grandmother. So those things helped me along. I could not even imagine a better segue into our next segment, which is going to be about making the invisible visible in terms of inclusion. So we're going to take a short break and we are going to come back to talk about my favorite thing to talk about in the world, diversity and inclusion. (laughs) So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And we're back on Lake Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible. And our guest today is Dr. Nicole Carter, who is the director of the Wright State University's Women's Center. And until now, we were talking about our PhD experience. And now, you know, I think that lends itself beautifully to talking about diversity and inclusion and making the invisible visible for better inclusion. So Dr. Carter, Nicole, especially being in the space that you are, in right now as the director of a women's center and as a woman of color, as a black woman who is very vocal, who, you know, is very creative and who is very outspoken about disparities and inequities. Where do you see us as a society failing in our efforts toward inclusion right now? So I I feel like we are failing in a, a lot of ways. One of the things that I see in faces like higher education is the conflation of diversity and inclusion as one topic, one definition. A place can be diverse all day, but not be inclusive at all. And so I think we lack the understanding of the difference 
between the two. I also think that we are saying that diversity is important and it's really only on the surface level. It's to check a box. It's to get different people to work in the space or to be silent about issues that they're having. If you could just say like, oh, but we're diverse, so you don't know what you're talking about, you know, then that person feels really like they don't know what they're talking about. So they're being like the subject of gaslighting. And so um, I feel like one, not knowing the difference between diversity and inclusion, but we're not taking diversity far enough. We are not creating spaces where people actually feel like and know that they belong within those spaces. So I think that is a major issue. I also feel like, not feel like, I know that we do not, understand intersectionality at all. We do not understand that people have multiple experiences and multiple identities that shape those experiences. And so a lot of times when we do acknowledge difference, we acknowledge one type of difference. Mm -hmm. So when people look at me, they might just say like, uh, she's a woman or she's a black woman. They never acknowledge the fact that I have technically a, a disability, an invisible disability, because I don't look like it. I don't, you know, like I don't have a, a hang tag that says I can park in a particular area. There are days where I look fine, but on the inside, I'm having a breakdown. It's like my body's breaking down. So we don't, we just don't recognize the intersecting part of mm-hmm. everyone's life. And so until we can do that, we can't really be in we can be diverse but not inclusive yeah so I think those are some major issues yeah and it's you know to me it's so it's so poignant that you brought up the idea of intersectionality because I have a confession to make I truly did not understand even like with my background with my PhD with my education with me being a woman of color with my invisible disabilities and all of that I did not understand the depth of intersectionalities and the importance of it until it was a few years ago when on one some social media platform that we're connected on, you posted something about black trans women and you really went into what intersectionality means. And it was truly like, you know, like a lightning bolt struck me in it in my own way, in my own story about how much I was compartmentalizing myself, which is why I wasn't able to convey a full thought, a whole full thought, because I didn't even realize I was compartmentalizing myself until you in that context, you know, with a very different story showed me how I was doing that. So I actually have you to thank for, you know, everything I've written about intersectionality since then. So thank you. You're welcome. That's like (laughs) huge. I didn't know you were paying attention back then. But (laughs) yeah, I I just don't feel like we can... Well, first of all, I believe that we're taught to only address certain pieces of ourselves. And so I don't fault people for not understanding intersectionality. And and actually, intersectionality is a very academic term. Well, technically legal (laughs) term. And so it's not a term that we use. It's not something that the lay person like just completely understands but it to me like you become aware of the intersections of our identity when people begin to only focus on one aspect 
because you're not dealing with the whole person and their whole experiences or holistic experiences. And so until that is done, you cannot really meet the needs of really anyone. Mm -hmm. And that includes ourselves. If we're not addressing, you know, like if I just live my life and focus on the fact that I'm a black woman and not attend to the fact that I have this or autoimmune disease and, uh, or don't attend to the fact or pay attention to the fact that I suffer from depression and anxiety. If I don't recognize that I am from Detroit and that experience shapes who I am, you know, like that upbringing, the surroundings shape the person that I am. Like I can't understand myself, first of all. And so I really can't expect somebody else to truly understand who I am either. But you really can't do the work of inclusion if you do not pay attention to the, the multiple layers. So. I completely agree, especially since, you know, that post for me was a turning point in my entire thought process, in my entire framework development, in all of it, because it really brought to light. And this is something, you know, I said in my National Spark talk, and I, you know, constantly, constantly talk about this is the interconnectedness of everything, you know, so we have to see our interconnectedness first to be able to articulate it and to be able to get other people to understand understand it, but also to be able to have intelligent, actionable conversations about it. Yeah. So before we move on to the next section, you know, I do have like sort of a tongue in cheek question for you, because as somebody with, you know, invisible disabilities, this is something that happens. This is a response I get so often that if I had a dollar for every time, I think you and I could both retire on that money. So my question is, <laughs> how many times has it happened to you where you've shared your vulnerability in terms of your health with somebody else and the response you've gotten is oh but you look so normal so actually it has only been a few times that I've gotten that response specifically but I have I've often gotten like um just sort of like ignored you know like oh it's just like somebody who has you know like it'll go away oh you know what I'm saying and I think it's because don't understand what it is so people often like I am I might be like sharing my whole soul with this person and they're they blow me off <laughs> really like oh, okay next next conversation and so I get people who really don't want to mm. understand what I'm going through but I have had um, people who are really close to me who have said, you know, like, like, I didn't know, like, when I've gone to the emergency, and I actually got admitted to the hospital, um, they would be like, I mean, I just saw you and you looked fine. Like, yeah, but I told you I was not feeling well. And I knew that I was having yeah. a flare up. And yeah, I mean, there are people who don't, they just mm -hmm. think I look fine. So yeah. That, that I can just drink water or <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. drink something, eat something else, um, uh -huh. take dairy out of my diet or something like mm -hmm. that in order mm -hmm. to solve the problem. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I've gotten, oh, but you look so normal. Oh, but you don't look mentally handicapped. Oh, I get headaches, too. Oh, yeah, I forget things all the time, too. Oh, yeah, I sometimes get that tip of the tongue thing happening, too, where I can't remember words. And there's such a, you know, like the petty part of me just always wants to snap back with, and how many times did you get dropped on your head? Yeah. You know, because that's actually what happened to me as an adult. 
in an accident. But, you know, all jokes aside, I'm making these completely politically incorrect jokes at this point. But my hope in doing this is to help people understand that part of making the invisible visible for those who are dealing with this is that humor is a coping mechanism and that humor is a way in which these conversations can happen in a palatable way without offending anybody's sensibilities, but still being able to move forward in inclusion. And the reason I I say all of that is to ask you, given where you are with everything in all the intersections of your life as a whole life, how can we do better with inclusion? And how can we do better with making the invisible visible? So one, I I believe we have to actually pay attention (laughs) and really listen to the experiences of people. And we actually need to begin to value difference and see it as something that is not necessarily a negative. It's not a negative thing to be different. Yeah, like we, so you and I have chronic illnesses and that's not necessarily a wonderful thing, but there is a form of empowerment in knowing that we have a community of other people who have similar ailments and issues. It is empowering to claim, you know, for yourself that this happened to me, but I am surviving. And so it's recognizing difference and appreciating it really as something that can, if we're talking about an organization or a business or something like that, something that can help us grow and thrive and change and transform. I mean, difference should be valued, not, you know, something only. Like when people say things like, I'm colorblind, you know, that's not valuing difference. You're telling me that you don't see me. You don't see the fact that I am black. And that to me is a smack in the face. I value the fact that I am a, a black woman growing up and living, well, not growing up, but living in this world. It is part of my identity. It's part of what makes me resilient. It's part of my beauty is part of my magic and so when people say they don't see certain things I don't see color I don't see race I don't see disability I don't you know like all of these things you're doing that person a disservice and there are people who would tell you let someone tell you I don't want to talk about the fact that I'm Mm -hmm. XYZ like I don't want to bring that up because there are people who that is not a point of empowerment and that's fine too but it's meeting people where they are so I think that's like the beginning we really have to do that surface level work and understanding that difference is not a bad thing I love that you know because it is such a simple point but I think it is a point that is lost in conversation and lost in translation on even some of the most astute ones of us who are working on this every single day and that's to really emphasize the point that differences are not bad. And I also love that you brought up, you know, empowerment and thriving, you know, because you're, you're literally speaking my language now. So what I want to go into for the next segment, you know, we need to take a short break. But when we come back, I want to talk about how you took your thriving and empowerment into your own hands and said, forget all else. And you started this consulting company, which I swear to God, like if this had happened when I was in grad school, I would have been your biggest client, you know, so I really want to talk about your vision for what you are doing now. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after the short break. (laughs) 
and we're back on this episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible. And our guest today is Dr. Nicole Carter, the director at Wright State University's Women's Center. And until now, we talked about the PhD process and how it was for her and me. And we talked about diversity and inclusion, which I feel like, you know, Nicole, you and I just need to have an eight hour conversation about that and just record the whole thing so I can just piece it up and put it together in like a nice package but we'll talk about that offline later what I want to talk about now is this amazing thing that you just like you didn't tell me you were doing this you know you told me you had we had a phone conversation where you were like you know I have these ideas and I just don't know how to you know manifest them into reality and we had that conversation and next thing I know bam you're announcing your business yeah (laughs) called sis just right so tell me more about that it was honestly like when I saw it I got I had goosebumps and I think I may have like just pumped my fist in the air and been like yes she found it yeah so I'll be honest like I I do love the work that I do as a director of the Women's Center at Wright State I love inspiring women young women young college students I love supporting them and mentoring them is what I call it instead of mentoring. Love it. I love doing that work, but something was missing and I I felt like it was the creative. So I told you in one of the last segments that I did art and that led to my dissertation. That was my inspiration. And in fact, at that point, not to go far too far back, but at that point, I was extremely depressed during my doctoral program. And it wasn't until I started doing art that I like that I, my life changed. And it was like a spark. And so I was on the prowl for that spark. I was looking for it. And I had started one of the things that we talked about in our conversation for starting this company was the fact that I wanted to write a memoir mm-hmm. and I had actually started doing little pieces, but I never really, you know, actually sat down consistently to focus on it. And there was one day, like, after, I think after that conversation that I was like, sis, you just need to write. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so that was really my call to action. I was like trying to boost my self-esteem and my motivation related to writing. And then I met with the friend in the area who is now my writing partner and we were talking and she was like and we we call each other sis and so she was like sis like you really need to do something with this because you always give me advice about my dissertation about writing and there are so many other women of color that I know this information and so that's where it came from really it's just right and it was just like really an overnight thing like I started I was like well let me see what happens if I post this Instagram post and people started following it and I think you post reposted it and so some people started following me from that and then a woman who had just completed her PhD followed it and then she uh tagged me in a in a instagram story and then i got like probably like 200 likes that same day or follows that same day because of it but i wasn't really in it for the follows i was really in it because i knew that writing for me was difficult and i was trying to get to the bottom of it like why was it so difficult when when i sit down and actually write it is cathartic when i sit down and actually write i'm healing my 
myself. And I think I'm afraid to heal, but not anymore. I'm forcing myself to, to go through this process. And so that's my motivation. Every day I write now, every day for myself and for other people. Yeah. And your posts have taken me on such a journey. <laughs> Honestly, your posts about the literature reviews and what it entails literally took me back to those beginning moments of our candidacy where we're trying to think about our ideas and the project that we want to end up doing and like, oh gosh, we have a proposal coming up and we have to start writing this. And then that you had these other posts about using writing as, like you said, a healing mechanism, which I don't think I ever did during grad school, actually. I specifically built a very intentional wall with no relation to our current national situation. <laughs> yeah, I just had to throw that in there because I just wasn't ready to deal with it. And so, and you're right. For me, the beautiful thing that I'm seeing, you know, that I'm able to witness being in this space with you and being in the writer's community on Instagram and on social media and everything is how much your writing is not just healing you, but it's healing and it's touching everybody you know as well. Yeah. I mean, I have people who I don't think pay attention to me in this area that I live in who I know they follow me so like on Facebook and things like that and they just pull me aside if I see them out or at a meeting or something and they're just like I love what you're doing please just keep doing it please just keep writing yeah. don't stop no matter how hard it gets don't stop and there are days you know that I don't post consistently you know uh so like this week has been extremely difficult because classes are starting back and i was trying to prep for teaching and i'm taking these classes and i'm directing the center 40 hours a week so the business side of business is extremely difficult <laughs> so, and you know like and i those are things i did not think about going into this time time management and things like that but i don't know like when i see people like when people send me messages or DM me and things like that or as a response to something that I post I'll be honest with you I just break down in tears because I'm just like you know I didn't know that I can it could inspire so many people like who have no clue who I am these people don't know who this is it's just right <laughs> they don't know the face behind it because I and I think I intentionally don't post anything about myself I think I said it's curated by Nicole Carter but nothing else I don't post pictures of me it's just about writing does it say that I didn't even see that and there's literally no pictures of you on this platform and I could tell it was intentional and I think it was just so beautifully done yeah so it's on my website and it's only on my website because oh. I had to uh, uh, email. Oh, but <laughs> so that's the only reason why. And I did put it on the website because I wanted to show folks that like, so I'm not just like giving you this information. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like I did go through a PhD program. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, you know, I do write a lot. <laughs> so I am I am intentional, like on the mm -hmm. social media pages, but not yeah. saying anything about myself. I share little personal things in some of the posts. So if I'm talking about the dissertation and something that I did and I'm giving you this advice because it helped mm -hmm. me, it has helped me. But that's as far as I'll go because I want to focus on them. 
So we have to wrap up. But before we go, for any of our listeners right now or at any point in the future who might be considering the PhD route and who, and who might be in this same dissertation, pardon my French, I'm just going to call it what it was, hellhole that yeah. we can, went through. What are the type of services and what are the type of support that people can expect from you when they come to you for this? So I actually provide four and I'm working on the fifth. So four different options. I do general writing consulting and that is like editing and planning out the writing. It is doing background research with you, for you, on topics, things like that. And then I do general writing coaching and that is more of the like, I'm sending you texts every other day so I have like a platform to send them or email blast depending on what they select and I am providing you words of encouragement I am checking in and I'm trying to get you to respond back to my check-in to let me know how it's going I send tips I send quotes from other writers about their processes and what keeps them writing and so the coaching aspect is just like keeping you going yeah. like let's do this five minutes Write for five minutes. Yep. Because I guarantee if you write for five minutes, you're going to keep writing. Yeah. So, right? But then the other two are, and basically it's the same thing, but for dissertation. So I do dissertation consulting and dissertation coaching. And the dissertation consulting is a little bit more intense because it's a dissertation. And there are usually strict guidelines that institutions or graduate schools like their students to follow. And so that's a little bit more intense. But I offer those. And then the thing that I'm working on is providing templates for people to do certain tasks that they, writing-based tasks that they would do um, every day, but they can just use the template that I provide instead. So like emails and outlines, memos, different things like that. And you just fill in your information. That's fantastic. We really need to talk offline about this okay. template piece. And yeah. for any of my listeners, I went through 29 drafts. So the service that you are providing, I'm not just I'm not just saying it to say it what you are providing for people in the process is so invaluable. I don't think there are words out there that can express the value of what you are providing enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm so you know, that quote, I don't know who said it, but (laughs) I don't remember who said it, but it's going around like Instagram or social media and stuff like that. But be the the woman that you needed when you were growing Mm -hmm. up. And so I'm being the woman that I needed when I was going through my PhD program. I'm being the woman that I did when I was going through the graduate program. I actually loved to write when I was in elementary and middle school and but then something happened nobody nurtured that love nobody helped me continue going and so I lost it and now it's back and you shouldn't lose it it's powerful you know and so yeah that's what I'm doing trying And you are going to revolutionize people's lives with it. I already know because you are just so powerful and you are so persistent and you come from such a place of truth and like the intersectionality of truth and power has that for an intersectionality. Yes. I had to throw that in there. Before we go, is there any final quick message you want to give to our listeners and especially to any potential graduate students slash doctoral candidates out there? 
I would say, one, uh, there is power in your voice. You always have a story that is important that should be heard. Even if it's just like I'm writing it on a page or typing it out, it deserves recognition deserves to have a space. For graduate and doctor, like graduate student, I would say keep going. It's always hard. It is not going to get easier. That's the nature of it. But we are defying odds, uh, especially women and uh, women of color. We were not meant to be there. Like I said earlier, like we were not meant to be even writing a single thing, especially women of color. We're not, you know, like we could have been killed for writing and reading. And so it is power in the written word going. And remember that diversity and inclusion are two different things. And so <laughs> inclusion is very important. We can have diversity, but we also need to be inclusive. I think that's the, <laughs> listen, if there's one thing that my listeners, I hope that they get at this point it's just that single point nothing else that's always my take-home message diversity and inclusion <laughs> are different things and we need to focus on inclusion right. or inclusion of diversity i should say rather but yes thank you so much for this amazing conversation i know we ran way over our time limit but that's okay because hey guess what i'm the host of the show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is some truth to that power yeah. Again, intersectionality. See, <laughs> see, see how much you've completely changed my life. <laughs> I will definitely hit you up on text, Nicole. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for enlightening my, you know, our my listeners and for doing the work that you do, especially in the women of color writing space on social media and off social media in real life. For anybody listening who wants to see Nicole back, it's going to happen. She doesn't know it yet, but it's going to happen. So just stay tuned for that. Um, and I will be back soon with another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible. Until then, I hope you're all intentional about your efforts toward inclusion. And on that note, have a wonderful, wonderful day.